Welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast, where we meet with leaders from across the procurement community to discuss innovative and strategic ideas. Because when it comes to procurement, every decision matters. Hey folks, I'm your host, Steve Isaac, and today we are dropping into our podcast feed a conversation on the future of fleet procurement between Procurated founder and CEO David Yarkin and Ken Hess, Deputy Secretary for Procurement for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. This conversation was originally recorded as a webinar, but we wanted to get some of Ken's terrific insights into this stream as well, because we think they really speak to the challenges and opportunities facing the procurement community when it comes to fleet. Here you go. Thank you, uh, everyone, again, for jumping in with us today for uh, this conversation on emerging trends in fleet procurement. I just want to say that this session is brought to us by Circle K. Shout out. Thank you, Circle K, for your help in supporting this content today. Uh, so without further ado, uh, I will kick things over to, to David Yarkin. So let's get started, Ken. Uh, Great. If you could get us started by giving everyone a little bit about your background uh, overall and your role in the Commonwealth, that'd be terrific. Sure. Uh, so uh, I'm 15 years with the Commonwealth, David. Um, uh, before that, I uh, spent a lot of time in the private sector in uh, procurement and uh, supply chain management at a lot of warehouses and, and uh, uh, trucking companies that, uh, that I dealt with. And um, uh, you know, in my 15 years with the Commonwealth, uh, we've uh, taken a lot of extraordinary steps to transform our fleet uh, into one of the uh, uh, most effective and efficient uh, vehicle operations, uh, I think, around. Very good. Well, uh, and I'll just, I can brag on Ken even more. So Ken and I, way back when, used to work together in the Commonwealth. Um, and even though the org chart may have said something differently, I worked for Ken. Uh, and, and learned an incredible amount from him. And I know, I know you all as well as well. What's special about Ken and his role for us in this discussion today is Ken oversees both the Commonwealth's fleet as well as the Commonwealth's procurement operations. So in the discussion today, we're going to talk about a lot of things at the intersection between sort of the op operating a fleet and procuring the goods and services to support it. So we're really in for a treat. Uh, a little bit about me very briefly, David Yarkin. Uh, former Chief Procurement Officer of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania in an earlier era than Ken. Uh, and I also oversaw the fleet, like Ken does. Uh, and today I run a procurement co technology company called Procurated, which I hope you've all heard of. And we'll talk about that in a second at the end. But Procurated is a ratings and review platform. Think of it like Yelp for government. So if you're trying to find a great supplier for auto parts, vehicles, maintenance, vehicle lifts, whatever, you can come to procurated.com uh, and find the highest rated suppliers for whatever your, uh, your needs are with your fleet. So with that little commercial uh, aside, and thank you, Ken, for letting me give it, uh, let's get started. Um, and actually, oops, let me, maybe before we do, uh, all right, don't look at this, guys. Uh, all right, before we do, Ken, maybe tell us a little bit about the Commonwealth fleet. How big is it? What's the sure. composition of it? Who manages it? That may help give people some background. Sure. Great. Uh, great point, David. Um, the Commonwealth fleet is about 15,000 units, um, uh, which includes, of course, passenger vehicles, 
uh, you know, heavy duty uh, vehicles, off-road uh, equipment, trailers, uh, you name it. Uh, we are uh, responsible for, um, uh, again, with at the intersection with procurement for fueling both at our own depots and fueling um, in what I'll call the retail market. Uh, additionally, we have our own in-house uh, repair facilities, so parts and service for vehicles, uh, and maintain contracts with the supplier community uh, to provide those services across the Commonwealth. Um, I guess you don't really realize how big the state is until you're trying to put uh, snow tires on a car 280 miles away in the dead of winter. Um, uh, so I give you some idea. And, and the management of the fleet is somewhat decentralized, right? Yeah, that is correct. Um, so the DGS, um, the Department of General Services, has the uh, overall authority for management of the fleet. But of course, the operational piece of that is usually delegated to the agencies via automotive liaisons. Each agency has at least one, and many agencies will have one at each location. For example, uh, think of a PennDOT uh, regional office, if you will. And I think this is probably pretty common in a government fleet is to have some kind of centralized authority, policy setting, and then the actual operations um, often get uh, delegated out to the agencies for their specific needs because they know their requirements and their operational needs more than better than anyone else does. Sure. Okay, so let's jump in, Ken. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to ask a poll question. If we, so you all now know a lot about Ken. We want to know about you. Who are we talking to? So if you all would do us the great extreme favor, uh, and as we make this interaction, we go to slido.com, S-L-I-D-O.com, and type in this number, 3595-202, uh, or use the handy QR code and take a picture. Uh, we're really interested in hearing about you uh, and, and understanding what level of experience you have, because uh, Ken is a very talented guy. He can tailor this conversation for the grizzled old veteran who's been running a fleet since it was horse and buggy, which is actually still how they run fleets in Lancaster. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I saw the husband in Lancaster there. Um, or whether folks are, you know, a little on the newer side, uh, uh, you know, one to five years or so. So we have, uh, we'll let this run a little bit longer. We have 65 folks in the, in the, in the, in attendance here, Ken, and mm -hmm. 21 people have responded. So wow. I don't know about you, but I'd like to see a little more. Yeah. A couple yeah, more. And, yeah. I will mention, David, that uh, the Commonwealth Fleet does not include uh, the State Police Equestrian Unit, and so I don't have to worry about putting exhaust systems on those. <laughs> yeah, or, or procuring uh, horseshoes. Precisely. All right, we have 23 folks. Let's get to 25, Ken, before we go, because, you know, this okay. is... Uh, oh, 20, okay, 26. So um, thank you. This is very helpful. And what's interesting here um, is... The vast majority of our audience, Ken, mm -hmm. uh, tends to skew sort of younger, junior, in terms of their experience with fleet, which is really, I think, exciting sure. to be bringing lots of new people into the profession. So it looks like my math isn't so good, but it looks like about 82%, uh, Ken, mm -hmm. I don't know yep. if I saw 82% have been in the, in the business uh, less than 10 for, years. Less than 10 years. And the majority, less than one to five years. So. Um, I hope that this session it only does help because you're a little bit newer, but I'm also sure, you know, Ken, that if we get into a back and forth, you and I will learn a lot from the audience. So, okay. 
Great. So uh, our next question, um, and this is just again to give us a little sense about threshold here when we're talking to. How um how would you describe how rapidly your organization adapts to change? Is it, you know, change is hard in, in government, right? Is it is it really slow to adapt? Is it things, you know, we do pretty well, but you know, it, it does take a little time. Interested in how you would describe uh, uh, describe it. Uh, and again, we have about 14 folks have responded. Let's get to like 25 again, Ken, and then we'll we'll jump on. I think one of the things that influences the uh, adaption, adaptability to change is the, uh, is the life cycle of the vehicle themselves, right? You have an investment there that you want to get some return on. And so, you know, I'm not going to uh, uh, sell or turn in a vehicle after six months because some new wow technology came out. Uh, right. We still have to be responsible. True. Or, or budget considerations, right? Yeah, I'd love to, I'd sure love to retrofit all my vehicles with, uh, you know, sat, kind of satellite tracking, but right. unless the legislature gives me some money for it, uh, or my my I get more at selling my vehicles auction, probably not gonna be able to do that. All right, good. So it looks like about half the about half the audience says things take a little bit of time, and I think that's that's what I would expect. Mm -hmm. uh, the we are slow to adapt was the the slowest of the of the four options. So it's nice to see it's not really totally stuck in the mud. To use a uh, a vehicle metaphor. Um, and 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 appreciate everyone uh, taking a second to answer. Okay, so let's jump in, Ken. Um, yep. There's a lot happening in fleet management these days, and, uh, and a lot's changed since I left the profession back in the mid 2000s. So let's talk. Let's start and jump in with direct driver engagement first. For those who may not be familiar with the expression, would you mind just defining it for us and then tell us what you're seeing in Pennsylvania and and perhaps beyond? in this area? Sure. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, automotive liaisons, it's, it, it had been uh, traditional uh, for us to communicate policy changes uh, with the uh, liaisons with, uh, out in agency land, let's say. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, you know, in today's technology-driven society, uh, trickle down communication is is certainly not necessarily the uh, the best way to get information, uh, and you don't want it to be just one way. You want it to be two way communication. So uh, we really are pursuing uh, aggressively direct driver engagement. Uh, you can think of that uh, via app development. Um, uh, you know, it starts off slow. You know. Feedback with surveys is, you know, kind of a, a good way to start. Um, one of the more exciting things that that uh, that I'm looking forward to is gamification. Um, and so, for example, you'll recall back in the days, um, you used to have posted out on the driver dock of your your warehouse or your or, or your um, you know, driver lunchroom that said had a chart with X number of days without an accident or X number of miles driven, right? And, and the, the holy grail was for you to be a million mile driver uh, uh, that was accident free. Uh, well, taking that one step further, uh, I think that we can, uh, we can also begin to look at fuel economy by drivers, idle time by drivers, um, uh, uh, even attentiveness 
uh, by drivers is uh, is certainly uh, trackable and reportable and rewardable. And that's the other part of this is is uh, it, it can't be just top down do 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 do, but uh, you know, the the opportunity for uh, recognition and reward uh, I think will uh, positively modify behavior. So how do you how, maybe just give us a little bit of we'll dive in a little bit. How do you how do you measure driver attentiveness? Attentiveness. Um, so there are. Uh, do, you ever, do you get the? Is your is your personal vehicle sophisticated enough to say, uh, "Hey, you need a cup of coffee," or you know, keep your eyes on the road, and that the cameras are tracking your the internal vehicle cameras are tracking your eye movement, and if you know you're blinking or nodding off or or, or things like that. Um, uh, you know, in car cameras are not just for the state police. Um, uh, or for truckload, you know, tractor trailer drivers. Um, in, in fact, I read a study uh, not too long ago where the Marine Corps uh, put the cameras in their vehicles and uh, had a significant reduction in in accidents as as a wow. result. And so, you know, we're not we're not just and especially in public service, we're not just protecting the driver or vehicular investment. We are right. protecting the public, right? Who could be harmed. Um, uh, uh, and, and let's face it, we have, uh, we have a lot of folks driving a lot of miles. Um, and, and so that, you know, driving down, uh, those, uh, possibilities or probabilities are, are what it's all about. Wow. That's cool. Um, I would be curious as we move on to the next question, um, if people want to throw in the chat, if anyone out there is actually using that technology in their fleet, these cameras that are keeping an eye on the driver to make sure they're paying attention. So you've had that, if you are using that, let us know in the chat, that's pretty neat. My, um, in my, for me, when I'm driving, it's usually my, my wife, my kid saying, dad, wake up. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, next, uh, alternative fuel vehicles. So this, you know, this, you can see by the label here in orange, it says emerging trends. Uh, and this is interesting because emerging means something that's new. But back when I was with the Commonwealth, when again, we were putting our drivers on top of dinosaurs to get around the territory, uh, we had alternative fuel vehicles, right? We had the, um, uh, we, you know, we started using hybrid vehicles. We had the, um, what's it called, Ken, that when, when you use um, some um, ethanol? Uh, E85. Yeah, the E85 vehicles. Mm -hmm. Which were we were pumping full of just gas at the time, but they they said they said bio on them. Um, but I know a lot's changed in, in, that, in that time. So tell me, like when you when you and the Commonwealth think about alternative fuel vehicles, is that is, it, is that just a cute word for electric vehicles, or you know do you think do you see you know government fleets using a wide array of alternative fuels? Yeah, I I, I think that the the more tools that you have in your toolbox, the better able you are to, uh, to adapt to that particular uh, uh, problem, uh, having a, the, the best possible solution. So, you know, one of the things that, um, uh, that we have to consider are, are the distances that the vehicles are being driven and the frequency with which they are being driven, uh, even as far as where they're being domiciled. Um, you know, if, if uh, an executive is, is taking the, home, the vehicle home at night, uh, all those things 
can have an impact on the type of fuel, refueling locations, uh, et cetera. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we have, of course, diesel, uh, we have biodiesel, we have E85, um, we have electrics and hybrids, PHEVs, BEVs, um, we have CNG vehicles, uh, you know, being uh, a Marcella shale state, that's kind of a prerequisite for us. Um, uh, and, uh, I, and I will say that, that each have their, their pluses and minuses. I personally, if we're talking about emerging trends, am looking forward to the development of hydrogen powered vehicles. Um, when you look at batter, you know, BEV, battery electric vehicles or hybrids or PHEVs that have large batteries as part of the propulsion system, um, you know, you, you have um, a scarce resource in lithium ion uh, uh, that is, or lithium that, that's being, and other precious metals that are uh, being highly sought after. And of course, driving up the price. Uh, you have flammability issues. Uh, I won't call out any, any manufacturers by name, but there've been more than one. Uh, you have a disposal issue, you know, at, at the end of the battery life. Um, then you have to factor in recharge time, and you know the range of the vehicle, and of course, you know we've all heard about range anxiety. Uh, the thing that excites me about hydrogen is that um, it's um, the only exhaust is water vapor. Uh, it is more like an internal combustion engine um, in, in its build, and so not having to retrain an entire workforce, perhaps of of mechanics, um, you know, on on how to tear apart electric motors uh, and rebuild batteries, uh, that, that uh, it, a lot of that uh, technology would remain the same. It has a much faster re refueling time uh, compared to a battery recharge. Uh, and, you know, thanks to, again, Marcellus, Marcellus Shale, there's lots of hydrocarbons floating around Pennsylvania uh, that can be stripped off in the hydrogen molecules and, and to produce fuel. Um, so that, that, that's kind of my view going forward. Um, I will say, uh, I, I, I think there's also an opportunity for cross-pollinization here. Um, so uh, solar recharging of vehicles or even solar powered vehicles um, are uh, uh, an interesting. Uh, in fact, David, you're familiar with federal surplus property. Uh, we have a bus uh, up in federal surplus that has, um, uh, solar panels all on its roof, right? Because it has a large surface area uh, and that can drive the vehicle. Now, it's not going to drive it at 75 miles an hour for a, a, a great distance, but think of an airport shuttle, right? That's driving small loops. Um, uh, and uh, I think you get the idea that you can, you can marry the technology to the application. Yeah. Do you, do you think that hydrogen is a... Is this like science fiction? Is this something that we'll see in our lifetimes or is this something that we'll watch movies about and dream about? Uh, I think, well, <laughs> I guess that you should do a survey on how old your oh, the, the folks are on here. Um, <laughs> because I might be at one end of the scale as opposed to the others. But what what is shocking is how fast technology is accelerating. And given the um, uh, you know climate, changes that are that are endemic, uh, I think we are going to have to develop uh, hydrogen power, um, uh, especially in heavier vehicles, um, but much sooner than, than might have been thought otherwise. 
Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, and I own an electric vehicle personally. Uh, my mother-in-law owned an electric vehicle, the kind that was blowing up, the Chevy Bolt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and I'm a, so I'm a fan. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I like to think I'm being environmentally responsible when I, when I by buying one, but actually when I plug it in at night, it's good old fashioned coal that's powering my electricity, yeah. mm-hmm. powering my vehicle. So uh, it, it, it might give people a false sense of mm-hmm. you know, greenness right. using an electric vehicle. And, and maybe that's one thing that's really attractive about hydrogen, right? Is it, it it's greener. Um, uh, can we have a question in the chat from Greg Gutierrez who says that in his organization, they've actually moved away from altern- alternative vehicles because of repairs, just because it takes mm. a long time to get parts for them. Yeah. The cost sounds like maybe are inflated compared to, you know, the internal combustion engine. Is that have you seen that in in your experience, or is that maybe isolated to another case? No. I, I I suspect that that will get better with broader adoption and as economies of scale grow. But you're right. Uh, we had a 2014. Uh, I think it was a 2014 Ford Fusion that was an electric vehicle. Um, and the battery finally, you know, said, I've had enough. Um, the, the cost to replace the battery was about $14,000, well over the value uh, that would have been uh, left in, in the vehicle. And so th- that's one of the things that, that, that does bother me uh, a good bit. And that is the rec- on the recovery end, right? I, I don't think any of us ever thought that um, that we would see single cycle, so to speak, disposable vehicles. Um, but uh, until such time as um, recycling of battery components and rebuilding batteries is is much more widespread than it is, I, I think we're going to continue to face those challenges as early adopters. Yeah, it's interesting, and then maybe we'll switch, switch gears. Pardon the pun. Uh, but um, I just saw, I think it was the city of Copenhagen, Denmark, mm-hmm. just said that after 2030, I want to say, mm-hmm. you won't be able to buy or operate a combustion vehicle, mm-hmm. smoke combustion vehicle in, uh, in Copenhagen. I know Norway, I think, is banning the sale right. in 2025. So, um, you know, I think the times they are changing, is, uh, as a great car driver, Bob Dylan, once said. <laughs> Great. Whether that whether that solves the challenges Greg's facing, I don't know. But I do think you're right that um, certainly scale and widespread adoption all contribute to making parts more available, and the cost of them goes down as technicians are trained in how to how to repair electric vehicles. So um, it'll be interesting to watch this for sure. Ken, you talked a little bit about solar already. Anything else you want to add when it comes to solar? Um, you know, I didn't think that, um, that solar would be available in, um, in DC fast charge. Um, so this is the 460 volt version of, of, a electric, you know, power line, uh, uh, charging, but it is, uh, I saw an interesting, um, uh, solar charging system. And let me just tell you here quickly who it is. It is W-I-O-C-O-R Energy, WIOCOR, and this is not an advertisement, um, but they have a solar stack uh, that is like a set of stairs, vertical, um, 
with the panels at uh, at angles like this, right? Uh, and one of the things that I never really considered was the reflective energy that you can get even on the backside of a panel as the sun's rays bounce up off the ground. So not only direct uh, solar voltaic conversion, but even the passive ref reflective uh, uh, value. And because of that, uh, the systems are made extraordinarily small and compact. Um, and, uh, and by changing the height or the number of, uh, of these arrays, uh, you can accumulate enough voltage uh, for DC fast charge. Um, and that, uh, wow. that looks to me like um, uh, something like, to your point, David, you're not going to be buying coal or you're not going to be buying it all the time. If you were to take the solar and then, you know, add to that uh, stationary battery power where you can uh, capture the energy so that on cloudy days uh, you can continue to charge your vehicle, uh, then I think you're, you're approaching a much better payback than you might have otherwise. Yeah, fascinating. And we will we'll talk a little bit more about electric uh, and some of the opportunities um, that I know you're 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 excited to talk about in a, in a minute. Yeah. Um, multimodal dispatching. Let let's okay. jump in here again, Ken, if you wouldn't mind again for hmm? audience who like me may not know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, yeah, give well, us a, define it for us a little bit. I'm just kidding. I, but no. you know. Um, well, if you don't mind defining this for us a little bit and then talk, tell me about how it's about the application. Okay. Well, most times when, when we think of multimodal, uh, and this is when I worked for, for Kmart, for example, it was uh, goods are arriving import on a container uh, that comes off of a ship. So that's the primary mode um, onto a, uh, a flatbed tractor trailer to be taken to the nearest rail siding to be put on the back of a flatbed train car for you know shipment across the country those are multiple modes right boat um, rail and and truck uh, that combine to give you the greatest efficiency and and, um, and, and carrying capability so uh, I, I sort of twist that a little bit uh, when I think about uh, the Commonwealth fleets. In addition to um, you know, passenger vehicles, one of the other things that, that I have to worry about uh, is package delivery, right? So I have the UPS contract and, and courier and, and, and things like that. And so often what we see is one driver getting in one vehicle, driving 200 miles, and, and that's it. And then, you know, there's 26 agencies under the governor's jurisdiction. Um, many of the satellite locations, so the unemployment office and the PennDOT office and the, um, I don't know, pick another one, Department of Health um, uh, office are in the same county seat, okay. if you will. Yeah. Right. So uh, what we really are, are uh, going to be pushing for is vehicle sharing. So instead of one agency um, leasing or buying a vehicle, and it is theirs uh, always, uh, we're going to look at uh, multiple ownership. Think of Falcon Jets, for example, right? Partial fractional ownership. Uh, and, and we think that then we can get greater utilization out of the vehicles in that manner. 
The next step, the next plateau would be ride sharing where, you know, picture a board like when you're in college, right? You're saying, hey, I need to get from Harrisburg to Williamsport, Pennsylvania next Tuesday. Can anybody give me a lift? Um, automate that, right? Uh, using some modern software. And the intent is to fill every seat in the vehicle, right? Now, instead of four people driving four cars, 200 miles, right? So 800 miles of consumption, it's just four people in one car. Uh, and, and so that's a, you know, uh, quite a benefit for not a lot of cost and in fact, quite a savings uh, in, in terms of vehicle and, and, uh, and maintenance. And then the next uh, evolution that I, I'm looking forward to is package delivery. Uh, so a lot of our mail and packages, you know, they're going to the same destinations as the drivers. And so we have trunks, <laughs> we have SUVs with, you know, with a way back. And, uh, and so again, it would be, hey, David, I know you're going to Pittsburgh tomorrow, take this package for me and drop it off. Uh, and we, you know, presumably will have the smarts to ensure that it's not, you know, 72 miles out of your way. Um, and, uh, uh, and then, you know, instead of paying, sorry, UPS, <laughs> instead of paying UPS eight bucks for the box, you know, agency A can pay agency B, right. uh, perhaps less than $8 and the taxpayers win and the environment wins and, and service is not, is not lessened or at least not lessened appreciably. Yeah, that's cool. Do you, I know um, on a college campus, I don't know if I've seen this quite as much in, in, in state government, but on a college campus with all these kids walking around and pedestrian safety on campus is a big deal and sure. environmental. I know some colleges are trying to curtail the number of deliveries. Correct. That get made every day to like the central shipping center, shipping center. Is that is that also is that is that part and parcel? Pardon the pun again of what you're talking about, or is that something different? Uh, I think that's a little bit different. Now you're you know you're you're seeking congestion uh, limitations, but regardless, that's an added benefit, right? Uh, I think that that um, you know like Penn State University, for example. My gosh, at at class change time. It, it takes a long time to, uh, to make any progress with a vehicle. So after hours deliveries uh, are a really uh, a great way to, to get around uh, those kind of problems. Uh, I'm not so sure how well that's gonna work unless we're talking about DMVA hospitals or DHS hospitals or state police barracks yeah. where they're 24 seven operations. But uh, still a lot of the state is, you know, is, is a single shift. And yeah. so you have some uh, limited abilities in that regard. And a lot, I mean, knowing the, the footprint of the Commonwealth facilities, mm. there's, there's obviously clusters, right? Correct. In, in obviously Harrisburg, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, but yeah. most of the, I mean, I would think that the majority of the actual shipments in terms of numbers are going to, you know, a, a state prison, a state hospital, somewhere that there's nothing, there's not a lot of other traffic going into that one location. Correct. Yep. And then the, you know, the, the other thing is that, um, so let's think next outside of the Commonwealth, how many deliveries are going to county courthouses? Yep. Is that, or to school districts? And so can then you begin to expand uh, that network uh, even further and then go two way, right? <laughs> hey, can you take this package back? Um, uh, yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, 
potential gain for uh, not a terrible amount of investment. Now, a lot of these things you're talking about now, which are really interesting, go to the, uh, the question of like, how do we share resources, right? We don't think about the Commonwealth as 30 different agencies doing their own thing, but how do we, do you think there'll ever be a point, I know something that we talked about 20 years ago when I was when I worked with you. Shared services. But do you think there'll ever be a point where, or maybe it is, maybe it's already happening, where a PennDOT garage will actually do maintenance on a department of <laughs> revenue vehicle that's, you know, 100 miles from the nearest state garage? Do you think that'll, that'll uh, ever happen? Is that too difficult? Happens all the time. Um, I, I'll give you some examples. Um, so heavy trucks. The... The, uh, the DGS fleet does not have a lot of heavy trucks. PennDOT, on the other hand, has a ton of, of, of heavy vehicles and diesel mechanics, and they are way better equipped than we are to service those vehicles. So we have a memorandum of understanding, right? An MOU with PennDOT, where they will do service on our vehicles uh, uh, at a, a frankly, a much better rate than, than taking it out uh, into the private sector. Uh, again, you know, it's not that we're trying to take work away from, from suppliers, but uh, there's better controls, there's greater utilization of parts, uh, uh, service bays, uh, and, and again, the at the end of the day, the taxpayer is winning. But an even more remarkable story is telematics. When we were uh, installing the, uh, the, the telematics devices in the vehicles, um, so there's, it, it's a, a, a device that plugs into the, um, oh my gosh, OB, OBD2 port uh, under your dash, sorry. <laughs> um, we enlisted PennDOT's uh, repair facilities that are district by district. And of the 6,000 uh, some uh, telematics units that were installed, uh, probably about 4,200 were done by PennDOT. Wow. Um, so, uh, you know, way more vehicles out around the state than there are in Harrisburg at the Capitol uh, that we could control with our own resources. Wow. Cool. So you can see audience is listening. I was, when I was trying to do this, I was stuck in the mud. I couldn't get it done. And obviously yeah. a, a skilled operator like Ken uh, uh, has the finesse to, uh, to accomplish really cool things. Have a good right. team. <laughs> Uh, oops, I just, sorry about that. Ah. This, this, uh, all right, let's see if I can get back in here, Ken. Sure. We're gonna ask you a poll question. We can here. Hang on, everybody. All right, so Ken's talked about a lot of really interesting technological advances um, that his team has done. Uh, I'm interested in, in, in hearing from the crowd again, you all. Oops. Tell us, and this is just a, this is not multiple choice, multiple choice, this is just type away. So again, go to slido.com. You see the number here, 3595202. And tell us, what are some of the projects that you did in the last year, the last 12 months, or even in the last 13 months, if you had something that happened last June that you want to talk about? And Ken, you should feel free to go on your phone and type on an answer too. I think we have, we know, we all know what you did. So. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll give people a couple of minutes to, to do this. Uh, well, do what I would, except I don't know what I do with my phone. <laughs> hey, David. Uh, Steve here. I, I have a question on, on the last topic. While we wait for some 
some answers here. One question I had, Ken, you were talking about these, you know, you know, setting up an MOU and doing some yeah. of that sharing for a lot of the folks here on the call with us are from, you know, regional authorities or local agencies. Mm-hmm. For them, do you have any advice on, you know, an approach for setting up a partnership like this? Or, you know, I know it, it would vary certainly by state, but is it sort of just like go knock on doors for your neighbors? You know, is there any way you would think about approaching that? Well, um, I can I can think of two. Uh, off the top of my head. And one is, yes, uh, you know, neighbors, because geography is important, you know, partnering between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia is obviously going to have some logistical challenges. So uh, the closer you are, the more able, uh, I, I think you are to, uh, to get the most out of that type of partnership. I think the other thing is, uh, is the size of the partnership. Uh, and so it'd be, probably a whole lot easier for a village to work with a city, a city to work with a county and so on instead of the reverse. So again, trying to take advantage of scale uh, and and pushing that down. And to my knowledge, uh, MOUs are are the type of legal contract or agreement that can be made between um, agencies. or LPPUs, local public procurement units. Uh, And indeed in our procurement code, chapter 19, uh, does permit um, uh, uh, local public procurement units to utilize our contracts, for example. And and that is the basis for um, continuing to deliver value to the taxpayer. Yeah, it's a really good question, Steve. And those of you who are interested, we did a a really good session last week uh, webinar around cooperative purchasing, which uh, if you're, if you want to, you'd like to see it, just email me at david at procurated.com. I'll put that in the chat. I'm happy to send it to you. Uh, Good, good point. All right. So Ken, it looks like there's a lot of, a lot of uh, a winner here, right? Which is all around electric vehicles and charging stations um, and and not really a surprise. This is hot. This is hot stuff. Yeah. All right. Let's get to our next question, which is similar to the last one, which is, what fleet procurement projects are you working on in the coming year? What are the big things on your docket you want to try and do next year? And, you know, you, it's okay to say, uh, you know, buy, buy sedans again, but I think we're interested in, like, what are the, the new things, things maybe you haven't bought before? Uh, you know, while we're waiting for those to come in, David, yeah. uh, I, I want to be sure to mention that, um, Alternate vehicles are another thing that we'll be looking at in the future. So, for example, motorcycles, scooters, electric bikes—they have their place in the in the transportation hierarchy, and uh, you know they, they're they're low cost, um, extremely agile, particularly in congested uh, areas. And you know I think we shied away from them because perhaps safety or weather related uh, concerns. But again, with smart dispatching, I think that that uh, um, that they could be employed uh, in in public uh, fleet settings. I'm a I'll tell you I'm a big um, uh, electric scooter driver. Oh, yeah. Rider driver. Uh, I can put on a helmet and I can go from my office in downtown Washington D.C. to you know a mile away in five six minutes, cheaply and you know uh, efficiently. Uh, it would take me 25 minutes in traffic to get there. So I, 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 it'd be cool to sort of see a, uh, a government electric scooter fleet. 
I, I, I will tell you that's, uh, that's one of the things on my to-do list. Is there demand? Are you hearing from your customers in the, in the departments they want it? If you build it, they will come. <laughs> yeah. we, keep, we keep using a, uh, a vehicle metaphor again. Uh, what did Henry Ford say? If I, if I built people the car they wanted, what, what was it? Um, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be building them a horse or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, which I, think, I think is probably true. Okay, um, great. Thanks everyone for this. And again, you know, a lot of similarities between what people have done in the last year and what they're, what's, on, what's on tap. And you're lucky talking to someone who really understands electric like Ken, uh, as well as hydrogen. Uh, Ken, yeah, you know, one, one of the things that I, 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 I miss is the Chevrolet Volt with a V. Um, that the particular technology in those uh, vehicles, which the internal combustion on board was an electrical generator um, that that recharged or provided electricity to the battery, even you know after it was dead, so to speak. That I think is uh, uh, I, I, I'm not sure why that was canceled, but there was a team over in Austria that tweaked the Chevrolet Volt. And they got 1,200 miles uh, out of it, and it had to do with uh, keeping the, wow. the generator at a constant RPM. Wow, that's amazing! Yeah. Yep. No range anxiety there. Can we have a, qu a question? Let's try to answer it quickly because I know there's a lot more that, that you want to talk about. Brad Johnson uh, asks us, "What's the holdup on hydrogen vehicles? What's stopping, you know, it from coming out to market and you being able to buy them?" Uh, from what I know, it, it's it's just like electric, and that's going to be the the refueling infrastructure, and right? setting up hydrogen uh, refueling stations uh, all around the country. Uh, I just saw an article um, a couple of weeks ago about Toyota's development, um, uh, and the it appears to me as though the tank uh, or the uh, the fuel cell um, pressure. Um, uh, problems have been overcome, and the uh, hardening of the internal parts of the engine uh, have been overcome. And so now it's uh, it, it's going to be much like uh, much like a, a charging infrastructure. And that is, how do we get hydrogen refueling stations out to the public? Very cool. All right, Ken. Let's we have about ten minutes left. Um, okay. So let's jump into let's pick out our crystal balls. Uh, and I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about what you see as sort of the immediate short-term risks and challenges in running a fleet. And then we'll, we'll spend the last few minutes talking about some of the great opportunities out there. Yeah, well, um, yeah, of course, supply chain disruptions are, are, are just constant. Uh, we have had hundreds of vehicles canceled uh, by all manufacturers in the last few years and, and some very odd uh, set of circumstances. So, for example, uh, General Motors just canceled 200 Equinox SUVs, wow. but we were able to pick up 60 uh, Bolt EVs. Um, it, the uh, it, the chip shortage. Um, I I read a an, a research article is expected to to end at the latest this coming year, and could go as long as 2026. Um, uh, until the new uh, capacity comes online. So I think we're going to be milking our, our fleets much longer than, than we would have otherwise. Um, higher fuel costs, I mean, um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, the war, um, 
and uh, the demand for Marcellus or uh, for natural gas uh, as an alternative fuel in Europe is is not helping us uh, at all. And and so that's why I like the the uh, the combination solar technology uh, that would make us less dependent on uh, you know self and to become more self generating. Um, By the yes. way, Ken, if you're able to get the the State Departments to agree to work on each other's fleet uh, vehicles, yeah. uh, I think you would have a good chance of getting Russia and uh, Ukraine to to call a truce here. So. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Um, I think that the the other thing that 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 didn't make this list, but um, one of the things that telematics informs for me is distracted driving, um, and, and that um, uh, we are incurring more costly accidents. The number of accidents are going down, but the uh, when they when we do have them, they are bad, um, and and. Um, I, don't want, I can't say more often than not, but uh, but distracted driving is um, is is more a factor than it has been in the past, or should be. Uh, and, and again, I think that's why we need to engage directly with drivers, uh, uh, you know, our, our public operators, and and uh, you know, help them to develop best practices behind the wheel. You know, one of the things that, that that's part of our that was part of our telematics rollout um, was uh, RFID technology. So every driver uh, that does not have a personally assigned vehicle. So if you're a pool operator, you're assigned a FOB. It's it's an RFID chip uh, that uh, so when you get into the vehicle, you have to FOB in, uh, and then we know who's behind that vehicle at all times. Uh, and, and that helps us to uh, 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 modify behavior um, and to uh, you know keep track of our vehicles um, and uh, 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 ensure the motoring public uh, uh, that we can take care of them. In fact, uh, we do a lot of accident dispatching now uh, based on uh, the FOBs and on the uh, telematics that uh, we have a link to the Capitol Police. And so if an accident happens after hours, Capitol Police are notified and, oh. and uh, uh, ambulance or you know, first responders are dispatched wow. all around the state. Amazing. All right, let's jump in um, here to the, our last topic, Ken, which is uh, oops, uh, opportunities. What do you see looking in oh. your, your crystal ball? What are some of the great things uh, ahead of us? Well, uh, I think this IIJA uh, vehicle charging grant funds is is phenomenal. Uh, there are two aspects to this. Uh, one is the uh, National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program. They call it NEVI. And the other is uh, CFI, which is charging... Uh, uh, I can't remember the acronym, sorry. Um, Charging and fueling infrastructure. Sorry, that's what it is. Uh, there is about $2.5 billion with a B available through 2026. Um, grant funds are going to be awards of a million dollars minimum. So, I mean, we're talking about big footprint additions uh, to your charging infrastructure. It is an 80 20 split. 
So the feds are going to, you know, if you do, if you are awarded a grant, uh, you'll get 80% from, from the feds, but the state's got to kick in uh, 20 or local has to kick in 20%. Um, but I think that this is a, uh, that the Biden administration did a great job of accelerating uh, the adoption uh, and providing the capability. You know, and quite frankly, they put our money where, <laughs> where our mouth is. Um, of course, 5G, um, I think that that, again, if, if we're communicating directly with drivers, um, that that uh, is going to help us you know, have more stable communications, faster communications. So for example, David, telematics, the device in the vehicle is communicating over the cellular network uh, to a, a host, if you will, and we're receiving input on the vehicle performance as a result. That same driver has got a blue, has got a phone, right? A cell phone, and we're paying just in round numbers, let's say, 15 bucks a month for both for the connection to the vehicle and the connection to the cell phone that's in the driver's pocket. What I would like to do is to try to drive those two technologies together um, and to, you know, to pay once uh, for the network. Uh, and this extra bandwidth of 5G will permit the vehicle data and the voice data to be uh, to be carried uh, simultaneously. Pretty cool. Sounds like science fiction. Yep. Uh, the other thing that that I'm looking forward to um, uh, in terms of cooperative, um, uh, we have a um, what I, we call the fleet turnkey solution that CoStars is going to be working on. The intent here is for us to take our all of the contracts that we have for uh, for fuel, for parts, for service, for purchasing vehicles, and to make available to our partner counties, cities, boroughs, a turnkey vehicle solution. So, you know, instead of just piggybacking on our contract to get a car and then say an adios, um, you know, they can go through the entire life cycle all the way through our auction contracts. Um, uh, so uh, we're trying to bring better value. Amazing. Great. Well, Ken, this is terrific. And I, I know everyone, I'm sure everyone in the, uh, oh, before, I, not only I was going to say, I'm sure everyone appreciates your, um, your expertise and, and what you've shared with us. They can actually tell us now. So uh, okay. uh, another opportunity to just um, freeform here. Uh, oops. Love to hear people's thoughts about what you're excited about when it comes to uh, for running your fleet this year, next year, what are the, the topics, the things that you've heard Ken tell us about from his, uh, his throne of, um, of, of innovation over in Harrisburg? What are the things that you're excited about, uh, folks in the audience? Then we'll, we'll, hear, we'll give you a minute to answer and then we'll, we'll wrap up. And again, you wanna to go to slide up. And you, look, you, if you want, you can take your phone out and just take a picture of this QR code and they'll take you right to the question too, so. Ken, you can also answer, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I found my phone. <laughs> like our first answer, Ken, is one of our mainstays today, electric vehicles. Seems to be quite the, quite the buzz. Indeed. 
like increased tracking, right? Fleet management. Ken, you got someone excited about hydrogen. That was me. That was, <laughs> that was someone else. Yes. All right. It's a thing. We'll give people just another minute or two. Okay, I have a great idea. You, you know how uh, successful Elon Musk has been with Tesla. I was thinking about starting my own hydrogen um, vehicle, and, and we'll call it the Hindenburg. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I like so the idea. Maybe we should get a branding company to help you a little bit with the, uh, yeah. the name. <laughs> uh, Indeed. I'm sure you're up for it. You know, Ken, any, any enterprise that you want to be a part of, I, uh, I do as well. Let, give these two folks a chance to uh, to finish their answers, and then we'll we'll jump we'll jump into the uh, to our wrap up here. Uh, you have one more person. There's one person typing. Chance to finish. Okay, hydrogen. All right. So um, a quick word about about procurated and how you can use it as you're running your fleet, and then uh, we'll share with you Ken's information so you can get in touch with him directly. And thank you in advance, Ken, for taking the time to talk to folks one-on-one, but thank you. as I mentioned before, Procurated is a, is a ratings and review platform to help you find the best suppliers. And you're, you're finding them based on the reviews written about them by your peers in other fleet and procurement offices across the country, just, just for public sector. So if you come to Procurated.com, you can register for free. The whole site is free to you in government. As you can see on the top picture there, you can type the name of a supplier, or a category and you'll find results. We also built out for you uh, a specific fleet page, which is procurated.com slash fleet. And you'll see this uh, image on the bottom uh, uh, when you go there and you can click on any of these subcategories that Ken talked about. We don't have hydrogen there, Ken. <laughs> Hydrogen's coming. When, when there's hydrogen vehicles in the mainstream, we'll put up all hydrogen there, but come there, check it out. Uh, and, and I'd love to get your feedback on it. If it's working for you, tell me. That makes me happy. But as important, if it's not working for you, tell me, because I like making it better. And uh, Ken has been a great partner with Procurated over the last few years. And so he's told me a lot of things we're doing wrong, which, which requires um, it's a generosity and love to tell someone that they're making this. So I appreciate it, Ken. Uh, so here's how you find us. Um, Ken has at pa.gov uh, and, uh, and I'm David at Procurated.com. So please feel free to ping us. Uh, we're happy to answer any questions you have. Ken and I both do what we do because we like to serve and we like to, you know, collaborate with our peers. So um, please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, Ken, any last words of wisdom or advice? Uh, happy motoring. All right. Well said. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for listening to the Decisions That Matter podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Procurated, the leading supplier evaluation tool for procurement professionals across the U.S. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. See you next time.